Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a new episode of the FinTech Hunting Podcast. We have an amazing guest for you today. Should I, I should restate that, a repeat guest. He kills it every time he's on the show. He's appeared multiple times. He's some of the most listened to episodes. He's a technology expert. He's one of the best networkers I know in the industry. We've sat on many boards together, but more importantly than anything, he's just an all-around great person. There's no one in the industry I'd rather break some bread with and have a meal with. Please help me welcome Eric Cuella, VP of Product Marketing at Ice Mortgage Tech. Technology, Eric. Welcome back to the show. <laughs> it's always a pleasure, Mike. I appreciate. It. I really need to work on setting that bar a lot lower. I mean, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's well, great it to is, be on again, though. I appreciate it. It's great to be uh, here. Well, it is great to have you. It was wonderful to see you in Las Vegas for the Ice Technology Conference. Uh, I have been to dozens upon dozens, if not hundreds, of conferences in all of my years, and I have to say that was one of the best conferences I've ever been to. Well, that's great. First, first class all the way around from the level of the speakers to the breakout session. So for those people who unfortunately didn't get to go to Las Vegas a couple of weeks ago, what are some of the key takeaways you took from the conference? What were some of the things that the lenders were talking about? And let's mm -hmm. dive into some of the, the key takeaways. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. I mean, I don't think any of these are, are really big surprises, right? There's never... Any real big gotcha moments there, but there was there, there was a, a few things that we want to put some focus on, right? We're all trying. We all understand we're now getting away from a refinance market and transitioning. If not, I shouldn't say even transitioning. We're all kind of already in it uh, into that kind of purchase market, right? So you you remember these years? What five, six, seven years ago it was all about point of sale, point of sale, point of sale. Then refinance kind of kicked in. Then no one yep. had enough time to do anything else, so they focused on that, and they were worried about capacity. Well, now they've got kind of the opposite problem, right, is trying to understand how to go out and attract borrowers and kind of win borrowers and kind of improve that overall experience to kind of feed that that, that pipeline, right? Because it's going to be, what, a depending on what report you look at, 2-point-something trillion in 2022-ish, somewhere around there? Right, you know, yeah, I mean, most, most economists, you know, people far smarter than me are saying, you know, refis will probably dry up 50 to 60%, yep. but purchases are going to increase by close to 30%. That's right. That's right. That's right. And it's interesting. So I, don't know, I don't know if you had a chance to catch it, but Joe Tyrell has been kind of talking about this 1% improvement, right? If you focus on just improving 1% per day. And it was kind of an interesting, he kind of related to, uh, you know, obviously to the industry as well, right? So it's kind of like, if we can do just one more loan per lender per day, we help bridge that gap, right, kind of between what those originate. So the question is how do you go out and go do it and focus on that kind of incremental growth than you can trying to go into it. And a lot of it was if you tap into different equity sources, like there was some talks about, you know, the, the home equity line of credit business, what that looks like. Now, you know, it's interesting because, you know, that's typically been a banking kind of, you know, product, right, right? on the banking yep. side. We're starting to see more of the, the larger independent mortgage bankers that have servicing portfolios start to attract and, and tie into that. So there's even that kind of conversation going on as well, which is interesting. So, Well, and I think, you know, you mentioned Joe's presentation. I think he does an incredible job of being very relatable and tying what's going on in his life, what we are all dealing with in the pandemic to how we can all get to that 1% improvement. And, and mm -hmm. as you mentioned, whether it's that lender getting one more loan, whether it's that loan officer getting one more transaction, um, or even as individuals, 1% better in your marriage, in your personal life, in your relationship with your kids. So I, 
I loved his presentation. Um, let's talk about some of the tech that, that were on display, right? You had over 400 vendors, I believe, that were there. Mm-hmm. That's one of the largest shows in the industry as you look at. And you guys are challenged to really serve a lot of different audiences. You have all of yeah. your lender clients that are coming as a client conference to learn and be educated. You have a number of executives from these mortgage companies that want a lot of that strategic thinking. Hey, where's the next thing going? What are we doing about equity? Where Where's that thing on the next horizon two, five years out? And then you have over 400 vendors. What are some of the solutions? What's some of the tech that kind of jumped out at you that people were talking about the most? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really kind of interesting. Um, you bring up a really good point. You know, we've always... You know, we've obviously had a partner network for a long time, but it's really grown over the last, you know, several years, right? And and to support all of those different kind of trades, because a lot of them, some of them have, you know, competitive um, offerings that might be something that we build, right? But we, you know, we have we are okay with that and want to be okay with that because we understand that we can't be everything to everybody, right? But if we can help foster these relationships and build these integrations and monitor them and keep them up to date and understand what the changes are and so on. It becomes a more seamless type experience. So lenders have kind of options. So the, the, the technology things that we've seen kind of pop up as of later, still the aggregators are big ones, right? The asset aggregators, the income aggregators, those guys yep. uh, seem to be big. The I'm going to lump them into a general term, which I'm sure everyone in the world will hate me for saying this, but kind of that underwriting automation kind of technology, right, which is a very broad, broad kind of statement, right? right. You know, ICE mortgage technology, we've got the AIQ analyzer side of the house, right? Then you've got the Candors and uh, Softworks AIs and the Gateless type folks that are out there as well, um, kind of pinpointing these different kind of uh, point solutions at different aspects of underwriting. So there's a lot of that just to... You know, I think people are still concerned about capacity because, you know, we all know this, it goes in cycles, right? So if, yep. they, if they invest now uh, and understand some of those automation keys, the, those automation pieces, all, although very process-oriented, right, and kind of uh, manufacturing-oriented, if you can speed up that process, that helps your front end, right? That kind of, you know, that kind of taps into your front end experience as well, kind of speed through through that market. So we've seen a lot of focus on that with kind of the, the couple big highlights that we saw, so... Well, I think that is such an important part, and I think there's one other component of it that I'm hearing a lot of when people are looking at, you know, I'll use your terms so people get mad at you and not me, these (laughs) underwriting solutions, right? They're not just looking, you know, a year, two years ago, three years ago, it was really how do I handle more capacity, and that's why I Mm -hmm. need these solutions, and I can't hire another underwriter, and it's costing me 150 k to bring on another underwriter, and i got to give them a 50 k signing bonus. But what I'm seeing is as the market shifts and there's more margin compression, people are looking at how do I streamline so that I can be more cost effective. And some Mm -hmm. of these underwriting automation tools people are using to kind of almost thwart off some of that price compression. In addition to your point, which I think is absolutely critical, how do we make it a better experience, Mm -hmm. right? If it's not a better experience, did you really give it your best? As a lender, if it's just another transaction, just another transaction in this market, you're going to lose a lot of opportunities for people mm-hmm. that are going to say, hey, you know what? I had a much better experience with so-and-so. Yeah. I'm going to yeah, refer exactly. to my families and friends, and I'm going to go that route. Yep. Um, 
Let's yep. talk you, a little bit about AI. You and I were, I, I saw you <laughs> in one of the sessions and, and there was some great discussions on yep. you know, artificial intelligence. And I think that's still somewhat of a buzzword in the industry. Is it machine mm-hmm. learning? Is it artificial intelligence? But that's right. tell me some of your takeaways from and, and some of the things that people really discussed or were gravitating to on that topic. Yeah, well, this is kind of an interesting you know, kind of conversation, right? I don't know if you had a chance to sit in on, on that session, but uh, Courtney Dunn, uh, Brian Stuckey from Rocket Central, and, um, um, oh, my gosh, why can't I remember? Courtney, Brian, and Chris McEntee, duh, that was <laughs> from, from our own Ice Mortgage Technology Group, uh, kind of had this conversation around artificial intelligence. And, you know, the reality is we're still very in its infancy kind of in, in the mortgage space, right? We're, we're not really – making underwriting decisions using artificial intelligence yet right right um but there's a lot of there's a lot of talk in in dc about you know how they're going to regulate this right because it could you know if 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 designed the wrong way or taught the wrong way or whether it be direct or inadvertently or whatever the case is it's going to you know could cause some some potential downstream kind of effect or the other way right if done correctly and done the right way, it starts to alleviate and remove a lot of that risk that we've had inherently before. So, so there's a lot of conversation about what that actually looks like. And I think you just need to, you know, be very active in the conversations. That was kind of one of the big asks that we had is to be, look, be, be, be a participant in these conversations. You know, I mean, we're still using it to predominantly learn documents and extract data from them and then kind of normalize that information to make those associations, right? This is Michael Hammond's pay stub versus Eric Quiel's pay stub, right? Kind of, right. Kind of th- those, those types of associations and things. So, but again, we w- eventually want to get there and start making decisions around that information. Right now they're programmatic, but eventually they kind of go that way, and we just need to be make sure that we're active in those conversations so when D.C. starts to come down with stuff, um, we can have our influence, our say, and kind of what, how it gets dictated and stuff. So it's, it's kind of an interesting conversation, but it's definitely heating up for sure. I would agree, and there's so many different issues that can come into play. The safeguards, is there unintended biases Mm -hmm. that are put into some of those algorithms and everything? And then I think there's also a very practical aspect of where can we start using some AI components now, and how do we not overcomplicate it and try to make AI bigger than it needs to be right now? I mean, the example I always use is the Christmas or two ago, I got a toothbrush that has AI. I love it. But, and I mean, and, and I, I, when I brush, it's got this little app and it can tell me if I brushed long enough on each tooth and what side of the mouth. I, to me, that's just a simple example of, hey, if I can brush better every day of the year with that, am I going to yeah. have far less problems with that? And that was just a simple little application of AI. So there's your, there's your 1% improvement, Michael. You just exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so at least these chompers will be on for another year. So that's and right. we'll get that 1%. That's right. That's right. That's right. I think one of the other things, though, that has driven so much as discussion about AI and machine learning is really all about data. Yep. That's right. People are now starting to understand, I've got to better use my data. How can I leverage it? How can I find more borrowers? How can I make sure I'm doing Mm -hmm. certain things? So give me kind of your take. We've been on panels. We've been on focus groups. Give me your take uh, on data. I mean, there's so much talk about it, but where do you see it best being used, and where do you still see that we have room to grow? Yeah, I mean, I think it's – it's it's an interesting conversation. This is kind of we could probably spend a whole time just talking about this one. So, <laughs> I mean, it, it's it, the the data that this industry gets comes in all forms, shapes, and sizes, right? 
Um, and, it, you know, people are like, oh, well, I'm just getting it from the asset aggregator or I'm getting it from the income aggregator or um, I'm getting it from another, thir- another third party. I can't think of like an appraisal company, right, an AMC or something like that, right? Um, and that's, all, that's great. That's all structured data kind of comes in and so on. But, but you may not have that all the time. Right, you may you may do it, and people are going to laugh because I use this example all the time. But you go and get a mortgage from my dad; he's not going to let you go pull his bank statements. He's just not. It's just not going to happen, right? <laughs> so he's going to hand you, you know, a stack of paperwork, and and you're going to have to go kind of figure it out. And that's where it gets that I, I call it the dreaded print the dreaded print button, right? Converting something that's a data element into a piece of paper, which then kind of you know, you know, cuts off that itself. whole yeah, data stream. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, and it's just kind of funny because you know, but but that but that's the demographic of, of borrowers that you're going to be dealing with, right? Is that you got to be able to take all those things in. So, to me, the, the the data portion is you know understanding where they're coming in from, right? Why they're coming in in that way, converting as much as you can to those kind of structured data sets versus kind of the non-structured data sets as often as you can. And then then it's a question of okay, is it what, what do I do with it once I have it, right? And and there's and even that's in, in, in a comment. And I use like really stupid examples when I'm talking to customers and things like that. Is like, you know, think about if you're on if you're on the correspondent side of things, right? And you get and you're buying a loan from Michael Hammond's Totally Awesome Mortgage Company, right? Michael Hammond's Totally Awesome Mortgage Company is going to send me 500 pieces of paper and, and a data file from my LOS, right? Well, I got to make sure those things jive up, right? Well, Michael Hammond had a bad day that day. Sorry, Mike, I'm going to pick on you if you don't mind. <laughs> And, 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 and interjected, like, four other loans in that in that package, right? Well, now you've got, like, four 1003s inside. Of, now, does it happen very often? No. Does a similar example happen? Probably, right? But how do you decipher that and take that stuff? And you've got to build those those types of analysis tools to kind of, you know, slice and dice it, right? And that's just kind of on the correspondence side. Same thing happens on the retail and, and wholesale side, right? You know, it's like you're, you're, I'm doing a loan with my wife. She's got a bank statement over here. I've got one over here. They don't need hers. They need mine, but I send hers instead. So how do I? You know, it's just that that deciphering of kind of what comes in and, and how to make sure you've got it right um, is 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 kind of the real key part, right? I mean, once you have it and understand those those nuances, right, and what to do with that information, that's where you can start to really kind of leverage it, right? But until you know like what's actually coming in the door and why and how often, and then you've got timing events, like I've got a pay stub that came in today, and then I've got another one that comes in tomorrow, and another one that comes in the fourth day. How do you tie those three submissions together and so on? So finiting that process, understanding how it comes in, that's how you can really start to use it. And then, then, then you start talking about, do I do it to mine more data for my customers? Do I do it to optimize my, my process? Do I do it to, um, you know, improve my secondary execution? Whatever those, those things might be. Right. You gotta understand what comes in the door. So, well, and you, like I, you said, somebody's got to own that data, and somebody's got to know what you have, how to use it before you can make it meaningful. Mm-hmm. There's even, as we talk about, as the shift from refi to purchases, people are looking at how do I make more transactions and how do I find more borrowers. Mm-hmm. If they mine their data correctly, everyone has what what somebody's rate is, right? I mean, the mortgage company has that. So you could easily say, hey, you know what? I can still get you in a better mortgage or yeah. I can get you in a better term or I can help you consolidate debt and put you in a much better financial position. Yep. It takes data. I see a lot more data scientists being hired, not just on the tech side, but yep. also on the lender <clears throat> side. That's right. Because while all of this data has been there for years, what I'm starting to see now is it's starting to become more accessible for people to use, mm-hmm. right? I mean, mm-hmm. 
the, the example I always give, and now I'm dating myself, but I'll do it. You know, I, I had a Trio 600, you know, mobile phone, and, and the first MPBs that I, MP, MP3s that I wanted to play on my thing, everyone's like, oh, they're all out. I couldn't figure out how to freaking download them at all. So yeah, yeah. even though I could handle all, this device could do it all, I didn't know how the hell to use it. And then what happens? One Christmas, Steve Job comes into my life, and I get an iPod. And within two minutes, I'm downloading dozens of songs from college. I'm laughing at how easy it is, and wow, what a great user experience. Mm -hmm. So it's not just the technology. It's not just the data. It's people providing the tools and the ability to easily access and use this data that I think is going to have the most profound impact this year and the years to come. That's right. And I think think it even becomes more important as we go through this kind of transition in the purchase market. And and Garth Graham, I'm going to use him as an example. I mentioned it last week in a different podcast as well, but he kind of talked about the refinance market being transactional, right? Right, very linear in process for the most part, for the most part. But, you know, a purchase transaction is very episodic, right? There's like... You have like a hurry up and go get pre-approved, and then and then potentially wait, 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 wait. Nineteen offers. Finally, twentieth gets approved. I don't have it exactly. All those things, and that could take thirty days, two weeks, six months, nine months. How do you keep? How do you keep your borrowers engaged throughout that? Because you know, here's the old sales thing, right? Time kills all deals. Yeah. Right. The longer it sits out there, the longer you have you have you're opening yourself up to risk. So how do you how do you bridge that gap? How do you keep them engaged? Data definitely helps. Experience definitely helps. Um, just overall that and and it's a balance of just not even just using technology, but how do you balance it with technology versus that white glove kind of treatment? You know what I mean? Like yes. I'm going to give how Michael give Hammond a concierge call. service. That's right. Use the data so it's hyper-personalized, not just you're blasting out to everybody, hey, now's the time to refi. Well, if I can say, hey, Eric, I see that you're in a subdivision in Florida, and I see all of your neighbors have a pool and you guys don't have one yet, but you have this much equity in your home. Did you ever Mm -hmm. think of doing a cash-out refi to do the, uh, you know, put in that pool that you've always dreamed of? Well, that's highly personalized to that individual borrower they're going to be much more receptive to that than some generic, did you ever think That's about right. refining? That's right. I, mean, it's, it's, I don't want to get into the the dealer conversation here in, in the automotive industry, so we'll set aside. But I'll use an example of that, right, is uh, one of my one of my neighbors, he, he works at a, at, a, at a car dealership, and, you know, one of the things that he does is, like, he monitors his customers' kind of lease timing. And then as, you know, he's, he, he does these kind of trickle campaigns, you know, to his kind of renewals that come up and say, "Hey, look, you know, you know, hey, thanks for buy- thanks for leasing the car, whatever, you know, whatever the conversation is. Yep. How's it going? Do you still like it? Blah 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 blah. Oh, by the way, now because he's had those multiple touch points, right? It goes on two years, three years, whatever it is. Now they're like, oh yeah, I'll just go back to him because he kind of was asking me how it was and you know all these types of things. I mean, it didn't take a whole lot, but some of it was automated. He uses some of the tools that that automated to go out there and, yep. and do it." Um, and then when it comes time to the actual renewal, lo and behold, he gets like 75% of them come back to him, right? I mean, a similar type there. And, and you know, there's a there's a guy that, that goes on LinkedIn quite a bit and talks about this as in his broker community. I won't mention any names, but he's okay. he's right. He's he's about if you're if you're selling experience and you're 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 taking your customers first, you know, nine times out of ten, you're going to win. 
and you use the data to make sure those touch points are relevant. Exactly, and you can aut use automation. I think the most critical term I hear from all of that is consistency. Mm -hmm. If you are consistently in front of your borrower, if you're a vendor and you're consistently in front of the lenders and the mortgage companies, you're going to have a much better chance of winning their business when the timing is right for them to pull the trigger. Mm -hmm. Out of sight, out of mind. You know what I mean? And think mm -hmm. about it. How many lenders sell off their servicing rights so that monthly statement I'm getting in the mail isn't even coming from the person I got the mortgage from? That's right. So that's a key touch point that is eliminated from the borrower or from the mortgage company that if you don't have a methodology to reach out to them, and sometimes it's a phone call, sometimes it's a text, maybe mm -hmm. it's a video, I think all of those things are uh, critical to, to really stay in top of mind. Eric, you and I could talk tech forever. We do this all day long, I know. <laughs> so tell me, any other key takeaways with you know the yeah. ICE conference or what's yeah. on the horizon for the yep. next events? Because you guys do it first rate. i got to mark my calendar. Give me some updates yeah. on that standpoint. Yeah, next year. Next year it's a little earlier. It's that last week in February, first week in March. So I, I don't have the dates in front of me. I should have had those. That's a poor. Hopefully Jonas isn't watching this too closely. <laughs> All right, last but, week of February, early March. Early uh, March. Same place. Same place. Win, win, Las Vegas, and uh, you know I wouldn't be surprised. We're going to. I, you know I'm fairly confident we're going to expand it, and, and by that I mean we're going to have you know some MERS uh, folks there, some Simplify with the Entitlement and Settlement community there. If I had to bet, we're already starting to talk about it. Um, and then how do we just kind of just broaden the event and, and just make it even more impactful for the industry? So um, I think everyone was, you know, again, we kind of went into it a little bit nervous. You know, we, were, we weren't we were sure. COVID was still pretty hot early part of the year. And right. We were kind of the first, you know, big conference coming out of, of you know, what we were hoping was the end of kind of this, this COVID spike. And luckily, you know, fingers, fingers crossed and, the, the you know, the winds kind of blew our way and it worked out well. So that was good. And uh, we got a great turnout. I think 26, 2,700 people, or something like that. We were we were kind of going into it thinking maybe a thousand, you know, just because of of the conditions, not because it was a bad event. We were just worried right. about kind of the conditions of it, and uh, we were pleasantly surprised. And and you know, like you said, the content was really um, really good. Our, our our the marketing team, the product marketing team, the events team, the growth team, uh, they did a, just a, a fantastic job, kind of putting it together. I mean, we we really kind of put our heads down, try to figure out what's going to make sense and how to align some of these, these sessions together and some of the content. You know, the team did great keynotes. I mean, I, unfortunately, I missed most of them because I was running around setting up for the sessions afterwards, but um, got great feedback on those. So you'll see more more headliners next year as well. And, um, you know, we had an executive summit. The first time we've ever done it before, it was Sunday and Monday prior to, prior to the, 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 the major experience event. And uh, that went really well, so we're probably going to expand that uh, next year as well. So, um, lots of lots of big plans, lots of big plans. We got a lot lot to do. We'll probably probably start planning here in the next you know month or so for for next year, and uh, you know, but a lot of really good really good content and like I said, kind of expansion of these things as well, which is cool. Well, and for those of you who are listening, if you have not gone to an ICE conference, you definitely need to circle your calendars now, start planning for it. If you have to go to your bosses and get budget approval, now's the time to start getting it on the calendar. And just for industry impact, I think one of the statistics that Joe shared that just blew my mind was 100% of the data inside a mortgage transaction 
of all the mortgage transactions that take place in the U.S. touch some aspect of ICE technology. That's right. It's amazing, it's isn't incredible. it? Incredible. I know. I know with, with the with the the addition of mirrors and simplifying that equation that that rounds it out. It's amazing. It absolutely is just amazing. So you guys are a force to be reckoned with. You're doing great <laughs> things. You're giving back to the industry. You had a lot of you had some charitable things going on. A lot of great That's stuff. Right. Eric, if anyone wants to talk to you further, whether it's about the conference or just your insights, what's the best way they can get a hold of you? Oh, email's email's great. It's uh, eric.kujala at ice.com. It's pretty easy. So and you can always find them on LinkedIn. Yeah. LinkedIn as well. Yeah, I'm, always, <laughs> I'm not I'm not as, as savvy as everybody else is, but I'm on there quite a bit. I definitely try to be on there quite a bit. <laughs> well, Eric. Your insights are always greatly appreciated. Thank you so much for being a guest on this episode of the FinTech Hunting Podcast. I appreciate it, Michael. Thanks a lot.